Who is this guy? I'm Batman. You could be Batman. Sure. I'm Batman. See? I'm Batman. You sound like Cookie Monster. I'm Batman. That's Batman. I'm Batman. Listen, I'm Batman. Oof. You even sound like a bad guy. I swear, I am a good guy. Okay, Mr. Batman. 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 That's what I said, Batman. No, you're saying Batman. Uh, listen, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. This is the Bat Pod. Bat Pod. Grab your bat microphone. It's time to start the show. Like a quarter of hours, the mystery is starting to grow. Let there be no debate. It's about to begin. Keen like Bruce Wayne, quick like Tim Drake, fierce like Damien. Grab your headphones, listen up, you know you love it. Drop the facade. Like the Dark Knight Detective, they've got some perspective. They're a pure crime-fighting collective. It's the Bat Pod. Welcome to the Bat Pod. My name is Bill Beer. And joining me tonight, from the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, Sean Ross. Hey man, how's it going? Good, it's going real good. And we decided to pick a book. We we're actually one of us was talking about it on Twitter, something about the Black Mask and these back issues where Black Mask was originally introduced, and we said, Oh, we gotta talk about that sometime. Well, that sometime is today. <laughs> we're going to discuss Batman 386. Detective Comics, 553, and Batman, 387. Just up front here, tell me what your thoughts on Black Mass as a character, or what he meant to you, or that sort of thing. Uh, well, first of all, I'm so excited to be on this episode because Black Mask is my first original Bat villain. I So the, the genesis of this episode, actually, I had been on... Uh, mountain episode of Mountain Comics with Rob Kelly, and we had talked about an issue of Batman from this era featuring Nocturna and the Night Stalker. And you and I had kind of gone back and forth on Twitter about how we both really love this era of Batman. So it's the Doug Munch and um, Tom Mandrake era. Klaus Janssen is in there as well. And this was when I first started collecting Batman. You know, I, I had bought Batman off the racks, off the spinner racks at times, like a little kid. You know, an issue here, an issue there, when a cover jumped yep, out at me. Yep. Yeah, so I've got a bunch of sporadic issues, and, I, and I've gone back and filled them in, but I've had a bunch of sporadic issues, but it was around this time, a, a little before, but around this time when I found a, like I struck a gold mine, right? Like I found a vein, a, a 7-Eleven who carried Batman and Detective month to month, and so I was collecting regularly. I actually considered myself somebody who bought Batman at this time, so when that first black, black mask issue hits... And we get the origin of a brand new villain. I mean, the cover even says, you know, crazier than the Joker, deadlier than Ra's al Ghul. I'm like, oh, I'm all in. Except I was really little and his origin totally <laughs> screwed me up. It is, it is like one, and we'll talk about this, I know, in a second, but it's just one bad thing after another. 
And as a little kid, it really imprinted on me. So I have this outsized view of his role in a, as a bat villain. Like he's a top five bat villain for me. Even oh, though absolutely, for, absolutely. I see, agree. That's awesome. Yeah. So you and I, I anybody else is laughing right now, going like, uh, "Black Mask." He is totally a top five bat, bat villain for me. So. I was super excited to get to talk about these issues. And then, you know, there's the added cachet of him being the villain in the upcoming Birds of Prey movie. So pretty soon he'll be a lot of people's top five bat villain, hopefully. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, same with me. I picked up these issues sporadically and I did get this this three part with the black mask. And it's like, holy crap, this guy's just messed up mm-hmm. from the beginning. So let's go ahead and jump right in this book. All right. And we're going to do, the first one we're going to do is Batman 386. Doug Munch is your writer. Tom Mandrake is the art. John Costanza is your letterer. Adrian Roy colors and your editor is Lynn Ween. And the, the cover, the first thing we see is that cover and you see the cowl of Batman and you see Black Mask, who... At this point, when we get this first issue, we don't even know who he is, what he is. You just see a black face with a fedora. Well, back then, you could throw a fedora on anything, and it would look cool. (laughs) It still looks cool. Yeah, yeah. So when we jump into this issue, we go right to the beginning. Black Mask is born, and the first thing he sees as a baby being born is another mask of the, the the doctor that's doing the birth actually drops the baby on his head. <laughs> on his head. <laughs> and they say at that point, yeah, there was something wrong with his eyes. His eyes might have been crossed or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, it's an ignominious beginning, man. I, I, you know, I've had people ask me if I was dropped on my head as a baby, but I, it's my first time reading it as part of a supervillain origin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you get to meet his parents who own this Janus Cosmetics, and they want the the little Roman to go meet with Bruce Wayne and and become friends with Bruce Wayne. He, he's not having any parts of that. They take little Roman to the countryside, to the outdoors, which it's another mansion, basically. That's not really roughing it, you know? <laughs> when I think of roughing it, I'm thinking of going camping. They got the Rolls Royce and the the house. It's probably a summer house that looks like five of my houses, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their their version of camping is, does not match up with mine. I don't see a porta potty no. in, in any of these panels. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And... He always has this mask on because they say, hey, Roman, we're going to do this. All right, mother. Sounds good, mother. You're going to love this movie. Go to the movies. I'm going to love this. I certainly shall like this mother, you know, and he watches this movie and then he goes out in the woods and he actually wants to go pet a raccoon. He thinks it's like in this movie and the raccoon bites him and he goes into this panic and he has these. I guess sort of a nightmare because all the stress from the... He thinks he's being chased and he thinks he gets swallowed by this raccoon. And come to find out, he just got bit by a rabid raccoon and his parents brought doctors in to give him the shots or whatever. But that is a cool scene and the artwork 
mm-hmm. you know, Tom Mandrake's artwork during that scene where there's panic is just awesome. Tom Mandrake, when I think of him, there's a couple series that comes to mind. And number one is his run, and it's late in the series of the Firestorm from the 80s. Oh, yes. You know, when the, you have the elemental Firestorm. I think of that, and I think of his Spectre run yeah. in the 90s. Uh, the art is just spectacular. I mean, if you haven't really experienced his artwork or his style, you really need to um, pick something up that he's done. I think of him as a Spectre artist as well. Like I, I think of him as a horror artist. And, yes. And I love that about his work, how moody and atmospheric it is. The thing that's nice about Mandrake at this point, and he's inking himself, he's penciling and inking, yep. is he's really early in his career. And so his his faces are softer. Like He's not quite leaning in as hard into the horror element. Now, the elements are there. I mean, this is a gothic story. But he isn't quite as as defined as he will be in about five more years. And I like that for this story because he's able to bring out real nuance. Like like you've talked about little Roman Sionis, who becomes Black Mask. His weird kind of... He's got resting meh face. Like everything that happens in his yeah. life, he's just like, yes, mother. Okay, mother. And he's just sort of dead-eyed and... And Mandrake really conveys that this is more than just an unhappy little boy. This is a sociopathic little boy. Like, there, there's something here that will explain why he becomes Black Mask. So, yeah, Mandrake's knocking it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. And when we jump we jump to nine years later, and his father has given him a chance to be part of the company, but he has to work himself up, work his way up the company. And within, I said, three days, what, one month. It took him one month to become the vice president of the company. And then he meets this girl who's coming in for an interview, and they don't even interview her. He hires her because she's a beautiful redhead. But when they go on this date, you know, to dinner, he just has this face of, you know, whatever. There's no smile. There's no anything. But it really conveys in those two panels of, this guy doesn't really have any emotion about anything, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, and this is going to be a weird analogy, but it reminds me a lot of of characters in F. Scott Fitzgerald novels, of you know, the Great Gatsby or yep. This Side of Paradise. That sort of idle, bored, rich, the you know, the men so accustomed to the the ease of wealth that they have this sort of general dissatisfaction with life, and and that's just. You know, like you said, he's on a date with this beautiful woman who he wants to marry eventually, and he still looks like it, like he's getting his car washed. Like there's just yes. no emotion, nothing's nothing's emoted, and it's again very yeah. sinister. And then his parents tell him that he he has to fire this woman immediately. He can't be with this woman. And he's like, okay, I suppose you're right. And he has sort of that. He doesn't. It, there's nothing there. There's nothing. There's no emotion. So eventually, this is the best. This is where the horror starts. Yeah, yeah. the 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 parents die in a horrific fire <laughs> of suspicious origins, <laughs> and you see, you know, his eyeballs there in in like a bush or something. Somebody's eyeballs, but you know, it's him. Mm-hmm. He is. So he takes over the company, not for the better, that's for sure, because he starts doing things that, you know, is not in the best interest of the company. 
one thing he gets rid of the offices that are for customer satisfaction. He clear those out. He's going to be like his apartment and this girl's apartment. And then you see he makes a room that he collects these exotic masks. And then uh, he wants to change some things with the cosmetic lines, bold new approaches, that sort of thing. And I don't even know what describe what kind of makeup that is uh, that he has on his girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like a circus performer or something. Yeah, and I think you know Doug Munch is is tapping into like you know Boy George or you know some eighties yeah. tropes, Cindy Lauper, right? You know some eighties tropes, but it's you know fails miserably, and he just keeps right on failing. Yeah, and then uh, he comes to his scientists and basically say, "Hey, we need something revolutionary, something like." the silicon chip was to the transistor type of thing. And whoever does it, which one of you scientists do it, gets a $100,000 bonus. And they come up with a water-insoluble makeup that it doesn't run with water. And he says, okay, we'll put it out right away. And the, the scientist is like, uh, we need to test this. We're a couple months away from from testing this out. And he says, no, we're doing it right away. You're fired he fires the guy, still gives him his hundred grand. Yeah, but fires him, and then you find out that the the makeup does horrible things to the people that wear it. They get these rashes, and he gets a bunch of lawsuits. And Cersei, his girlfriend, is going to leave him, and he has to sign over, basically sign over his company to Wayne Enterprises, basically bailing him out. He'll still be the head of the company, but they will manage the day-to-day operations. At that point, he sort of just snaps. He -hmm. goes to his parents' mausoleum. He goes in there, and he's he's cursing his father. And as he goes in, he gets struck by lightning. He gets thrown into the casket. And a piece of the casket, I guess he takes a rock, and he's just smashing the casket until a he rips a piece of that casket off and it's like a it's almost like a uh, it's a black oak or a black wood oh, yeah it's ebony some kind of ebony wood or something mm-hmm. and he actually takes a piece of that and in the mausoleum he starts carving carving a mask out of it and you see Gordon and Bullock that all this makeup line that was the waterproof that that he got sued over was taken and money was taken and that Roman disappeared. And we sort of end our issue here is the False Face Society, which if you're familiar with Black Mask, I don't know as of late how much they've been around, but early on the Black Face Society of Gotham was really big and he's basically hiring thugs Give up your identity, I'll give you a new identity, I'll make you rich, you just have to do whatever I say. And then at the end of the story here, you see somebody is murdered because it looks like they put this water-soluble makeup in a mask and put it on somebody, but it doesn't say. We'll get into that a little more as the issues go on and you find out who that really is or whatever, but... And then Batman beats the crap out of somebody and forces them to say that they're working for Black Mask. So, 
Yeah, this was all one issue. Yeah, it was a big issue. There was a lot in this issue. Everything you just described happens, the, his whole origin happens in 16 pages. And this is the thing that messed me up as a kid, is it's, it was probably my first exposure to like psychopathy, to, to somebody who does not emote or feel the emotions of others, which again, Mandrake beautifully gets across on the page, but all of these things happen to him. I mean, he's dropped on his head. He gets rabies and you know he's bitten by a rabid raccoon. Yeah. He falls in love and then kills his parents and then wrecks his business and the woman he loves leaves him. And then he gets struck by lightning and then he becomes a, a master of the underworld. I mean, that's a lot. You know, I realize that we aren't quite in the 2000s age of decompression yet, but that's a lot for one issue. Like this would have been a 12 no. issue maxi series today. Oh yeah, definitely. Or at least been like and if uh, you were Tom King, it might have been like seventy issues or something like that. And I'm just, <laughs> oh, I'm just, man. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But like you know Tom what I'm King. saying. I you do, know what yeah. I'm saying with the the double shipping nowadays. There's a mm-hmm. lot of decompression. Yeah, but this is, and again, I don't know. Did you have the same reaction when you read it when you were younger? That that it sort of his origin sort of imprinted on you because you got so much information so quickly. I think so. I mean, you would pick up these issues. A lot of times I'd go into the shop and where I bought comics when I was younger was a video store. Oh, wow. But they had a a section for comics on the other side. But you didn't know what issues you were going to get, what was going to be there. Oh, yeah. At that point, I didn't even know, you know, they came out on a certain day of the week or anything like that. (laughs) But when I picked this one up, I remembered... I gotta have the next issue. I gotta see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah, I had the same exact reaction. And he just has such a cool look. He's got the, you know, old gangster style pinstripe suit and the fedora, and then that mask is just haunting. And I really like what Munch does in this first origin issue, and then he's going to play it out over the next two issues that I'll talk about in just a second. I love that from the very beginning for Robin Sinus, everything is a mask. Like he thinks everyone is always wearing a mask. And in a comic book about Bruce Wayne, where you ask yourself all the time, is Bruce Wayne the mask or is Batman? I think it's a really cool play on that idea. I think I think Munch is, is striving for something really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so back in the day, gentle listeners, uh, Batman and Detective used to be basically one continuing story. So Doug Munch was the writer for both. Tom Mandrake was the penciler on Batman. Klaus Janssen was the penciler on Detective. And one story would just continue into the other. And so that, for young readers buying off the spinner rack, that was a little confusing, let me tell you. But we get the the story of Black Mass picking up right away. So as Bill just said, the previous issue ends with the murder of an executive from the Wayne Foundation, from Wayne Enterprises. And remember, Wayne Enterprises took over Janus Cosmetics when Roman Sinus drove it to the ground, and it caused him to lose face. And so he is going to cause all the people who made him lose face to lose their faces as well. Now, he's very literal, <laughs> but they are literally losing their faces. And so Black Mask and the False Face Society go on a murder spree through, spree through Gotham. They are also on a crime spree, you know, getting money. But they're killing Wayne Enterprises executives. The police intervene and... Bruce Wayne is made aware of the danger, and so they set up a perfect trap for Black Mask where they want to see if they can get him to sort of come out of hiding, and they hold a masquerade, 
well, you know, this is a bat villain with a shtick. Obviously, he's going to show up to that masquerade party. He shows up. He tries to kill Bruce Wayne, but Bruce fights him off. And I thought that moment was pretty funny because normally Bruce would pretend to be like, you know, the foppish playboy who doesn't know how to throw a punch. But unlike many villains in comic books who put on a mask and suddenly are, you know, martial art experts, Roman Sinus has probably never thrown a punch in his life. And Bruce is able to, you know, kind of deflect and, and get away pretty quickly. This causes a slew of events that we'll talk about in a moment where Roman gets progressively crazier and crazier. He bonds a mask to, he kidnaps Cersei, his former love, and bonds a mask to her face, making her a permanent part of the False Face Society and, and injuring her permanently. Batman and Robin pursue, they fight the False Face Society, they go after Black Mask, who returns to his childhood home, the Sionist Mansion, and his childhood room, where he still has toys and you know some of the masks he adopted and, and was drawn to as a child. And symbolically, he lights it on fire. He wants to burn Roman Sionists out of him so that only black masks survive, so that there is only the mask, which is, in fact, his true face. So again, super cool use of symbolism by Munch. He starts a fire, and Batman comes in, they fight, and Black Mask, during the fight, falls, and his face plummets into the flames. Batman is able to rescue him, but his mask has been permanently burned into his face, so he is now truly Black Mask. Roman Sionis is dead, and he has this haunting visage for the rest of his life, which, oddly, is the exact thing he wanted. In the end, we get a very Doug Munch gothic romance moment where Cersei, who he has mutilated, comes to visit him in prison. She can't get to see him, so she gives a police officer the mask that he bonded to her face and walks off disfigured into the night. So... Bill, your issue covered his origin, and the next two issues cover his first romp through the Gotham Underground. What were your thoughts on his his opening salvo? I loved it. I mean, you know, this is a guy, as we said, doesn't have a lot of emotion. Is just doing things. He's getting revenge on all these Wayne employees because executives, because he feels that he they stole his company from him. There, there's nothing that he did to sink the company. <laughs> it's everybody else's fault. It's his yep. parents' fault. It's these executives' fault. He starts this false fate, this false face society, you know, and they're, they're basically their bat cave or black mass cave is in the crypt where his parents were buried at one point. The bodies mm. aren't there anymore, but that's just really creepy. You know, if this was like in a movie, holy cow, that would have a lasting effect on me at least. <laughs> but the biggest thing in this whole issue that got me when I was a young teenager was the ending where his face is bonded on, his mask is bonded onto his face. Mm -hmm. How many villains did we have that wore a mask and it was they can't take their mask off there's the mask so roman sinus is no more all you have is black mask and his his appearances through the 80s through the early 90s they kept with this character now the black mask isn't always this character because yeah. in the future 
his mass doesn't seem to be bonded on. I mean, there was even some issues that looked like it was a zip-on mask. So I, I really like the way that, that this issue establishes him as a villain in Gotham. Yeah, I I loved that haunting image, that last image of his face burned, and he's just repeating the word Janice again and again. And this idea that Munch drives home of, of in order to get to his true face, he had to burn off his mask of Roman Sinus. And the parallels to Bruce Wayne, I mean, they're right there, right? Like, like this is such a, the reason he's such a good villain is because he's basically a, a, a kind of anti-Bruce Wayne. I mean, he grows up rich child of privilege, but unlike Bruce Wayne, he does not have a loving relationship with his parents. Now, it's not clear whether his parents are good or bad people or he just perceives them that way. It, it definitely has the feel of a psychopath who's perceiving something that might not be there because the way they're depicted, they seem like normal people. I mean, they don't make the best choices always, but they seem like normal people. And then, you know, he kills his parents where Bruce is driven by the death of his parents. And he adopts a mask not to prevent you know, horrors from being afflict, inflicted on others the way Bruce did, but into, in order to inflict horror, in order to take the pain he feels and push it onto others, inflict it on others. So there's some nice overtones here that I really like about what it means to wear a mask and the masks we wear in life and then you know his mask versus Bruce's. And I just thought it was really cool. I thought he was a very original new character that actually doesn't go anywhere for quite a few years. No, no. Yeah. So I actually, uh, I'm a nerd. I'm a, t- I'm a teacher, so I always do my homework. Uh, I actually read his next two appearances. So you have to flash forward eight years, nine years. And Doug Munch and Tom Mandrake have actually, or actually, sorry, Doug Munch and Tom Grindberg, whose art looks a lot like Tom Mandrake's. Uh, Doug Munch yep. is back on Batman. He's doing an extended run on Batman. And in Batman 484 and 485, he brings Black Mask back. It's actually the first time he's back. And it's a little disappointing because the first issue, I think Munch probably wisely is assuming that a lot of people don't remember Black Mask. It was pre-crisis and this is post-crisis and, you know, there's no Wikipedia to look on. So the first issue is just basically a retelling of him not not just his origin, but like why he's a criminal and, and he grabs Cersei again. It's basically playing out the all the issues we just read. And then he, you know, makes a, a fumbling attempt at being a crime lord again and is is overdone by Batman. And and that could have been the end of him, but he becomes the the black mask we know today, who is not an insane, you know, man obsessed with truth and, and falsehood. But is just a gang boss, you know, the, the black mask we're familiar with from Under the Red Hood and, you know, war games and things like that. Because modern writers took him, I think it was war games where it first happened, and definitely in Catwoman. And they made him just a crime boss, like a, almost like Hammerhead from Marvel, like a cigar chewing. Yep. You know, where's my money? Let's run drugs through Gotham. Crime boss, you know, who wears, you know, a shirt and tie and has a weird black head, either a mask or not. I, I've actually never gotten confirmation in current continuity, whether it's a mask or not, but no. it's funny. Yeah. They, they turned him into a different character basically. So actually I'm, I'm curious, which one do you prefer? Do you like this original spooky version we're reading about? Or do you like the sort of scene chewing, you know, gangster? Well, I like both, but I like this the best. This resonates more with me because I read it from the beginning. And, 
they've done some things with him that I've liked. They've done some things with him that I haven't. Like at one time, Black the mask was like removable, and wasn't Jeremiah Arkham wearing the mask for a time? Yeah, ugh, yeah, that was a weird arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was weird. So so yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. I this as I said, this origin story hits me. Uh, you know the fedora and everything mm-hmm. is a little cheesy, but it, but everything and the concepts that are in this book hits me more than the current Black Mask because you can't ask somebody today and say, "Hey, what kind of villain is Black Mask besides a monster? What is what is his motivations? What is this? What is that?" And I don't really know what it is. Yeah, I, I think right now, I think you kind of nailed it. He's just a mobster with a weird look. I mean, yeah. he's, that's, and that really is all he seems to be. And even though I like the universality of that, like he, I think he fits more stories now. Like he can he can show up in more comics now as like a crime boss. He's just lost a lot of his luster for me because I was so imprinted upon in those early days on his, about his psychosis and his psychopathy and you know the mask meaning so many different things and Cersei you know sort of haunting him in a way that that's really powerful. That I, you know, I just I think he's lost some of his mysterious nature and you know some of the things that make a great bat villain a bat villain. So I don't think they can ever put the genie back in the bottle, especially because he's he was in the Under the Red Hood movie and he's going to be in the Birds of Prey movie. But I would like to see a little bit of a tip of the cat, a little tip of the fedora <laughs> back yes. to his roots, like one of these writers, you know that that introduced Black Mask and and really change a couple things you know how they changed mr freeze a little bit in the new 52 then they decided oh that didn't work we will change it back um i'd like to see a change a little bit you don't even have to do it that much he can still be the crime boss but i'd like to see a change where he has this you know motivation and he has this false face society you know you give up one identity for the other sort of thing. Well, I really like the false face society. I think they I think that's a slept on concept because I think it's a really cool idea to to use the to really take the name literally that not only does he have a group of criminals who wear these masks but maybe in fact he has an entire society like he has underlings and spies and you know people who work for him who you believe are good, but in fact turn out to be, you know, part of this society. So I don't know. I think they could have extended that out a bit. Not necessarily. They made him sort of a cult leader at one point, and that's not really what I'm looking for. But no, no. Just as part of his criminal empire, I think the false face idea is pretty cool. And, and yeah, so I'd like to see them pick back up on that too, and and maybe tone down some of the stuff that happened in Catwoman with you know him being sort of a you know, torturer and. Yeah, some some of that stuff was just way too far. And, and, you know, not that I ever want him to be redeemed. I don't think he's redeemable, but I'd like him to be a functional villain. I'd like to be able to see him and not be repulsed. So and I know at one point, didn't he get shot in the head by Catwoman? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. she full on kills him. She straight up kills him. But but, you know, some of these stories that they do. You know, they have good ideas, and then when they go through with them, later editors or writers are like, uh, yeah, let's just forget she didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, technically, and this is such a nerdy thing to say, I, mean, I think technically she shot him pre-New 52. So maybe when Flash, you know, <laughs> did Flashpoint, magically the bullet popped out of his head. But uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, she no, she full-on shot him. I, I just yeah. looked at that panel the other day when I was doing some research for, the, for today's show. Because I was like, oh, maybe it's implied. Maybe it's like a soap opera death where there's a gunshot, but you never see the body. And then it's like, oh, no, no, no. They show the bullet enter his skull. <laughs> so no yeah. mystery there. No misinterpreting there. No, no, no. That next story where Black Mask appears, is that the one? Because I'm trying to remember. Is that the one where Bruce Wayne infiltrates the false face society? It is, yeah. It's like yeah, a he skull. Goes... He has like a skull yep. mask. Yeah, yeah, you've got a good memory, man. Yeah, he he goes undercover. He almost looks like Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a blonde mullet. Oh and... yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then he does. Yeah, then he becomes the new Skull Face. He be, you know, Skull gets a Face. Mask that's right. And becomes Black Mask's kind of right hand man for a bit while he infiltrates the group. And and this time, unlike the stories we read today, where where Jason Todd and now this is pre Crisis Jason Todd, where he's still a good kid trying to do well. He's Robin in the in the next iteration it's tim drake so it's kind of cool to see the difference in the two robins even yeah yeah this happened right before nightfall i believe yep isn't that oh, yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. that's only a few issues before nightfall yeah it was definitely one of the last stories before that that storyline kicks in and, and you see in that issue too that batman start to wear out a little he's starting mm-hmm. to be tired you see the effects that, that lead right into to nightfall so yeah that's a good catch i had i had actually forgotten how close this was to nightfall so when i was rereading the issues at one point batman falls asleep on a roof and i'm like what i'm like what are they doing i'm like why is he i'm like oh the fatigue and that explains nightfall and bane and i'm like okay i know where i am in continuity so yeah that was a good catch yeah so yeah this was one of those that i really enjoyed i mean you didn't really have comic book reviews way back when so i don't know what reviewers would have said on this one but a lot of times you know i take reviews with a grain of salt and it's how i enjoy something mm-hmm. not what somebody else thinks you know you would enjoy or not so yeah yeah i, I love black mask i don't know what other people think of him uh, but I'm a sucker for this era. I love the Night Stalker and Nocturna and oh, yeah. Catwoman as you know as Batwoman's as Batman's ally and you know Vicky Vale as a weightlifter <laughs> and you know so I I just this this whole pot this area is like my sweet spot for Batman. Even though there are other eras I love very much, but yeah, this was a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed getting back getting to dip back into his origin and you know definitely the speculator market has caught on that he's going to be a villain in the movie because even though I own these issues, I did a quick peek like, Oh, I wonder if that oh, first yeah. appearance is worth anything. And I was like, Oh yeah, it is worth something. So yes, it is. So, you know. so hopefully they'll put out uh, you know, a best of black mask trade as that, as the movie gets closer, I would assume they will. And, and I, you and know, he's issues... got to pop in somewhere. Yeah. And these issues have to be in it. I mean, this is his, not only are they his origin, but they're very definitive and they're, I think, really great representations of a cool era in Batman when there was a lot of sort of gothic horror happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, this was a lot of fun. Was there any uh, final thoughts you had about any of these issues or anything? 
No, that's it. I just, you know, like I said, I really enjoy him as a villain. I, I don't necessarily love the change to the mobster, though it's okay as long as it keeps him kind of out in the in the mainstream. But if for those people, again, who haven't ever gone back to pre-Crisis Batman, you know, I can't recommend it enough, especially the era right around Crisis when, when Doug Munch was really leaning into gothic romance and gothic Oh, horror, yeah, it was so. very soap opery too. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of drama... You know, and for good and for ill, some purple prose, but it's a fun era, especially considering how different Batman is today. You know, the, he's not the Dark Knight of Vengeance. He's a much more reasoned and sort of fallible character at this time, which I really enjoy. So, no, I, I just appreciate you having me on. I, I haven't read these issues in a long time, and I like when we get to talk Batman. And, you know, my my show is pretty Marvel-centric, so it's a blast for me to get a, to dip into the distinguished competition. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Love talking old issues like new issues anytime. This has been fun, so and and you know, I I haven't read this in a while. I knew I really enjoyed it, but once you some things when you read them again, it's like, oh, that didn't hit me the way it did way back when. This one hit me exactly the way I remember it, so yeah, me too. I had the exact same. I felt I felt like a small kid again reading a story that I probably wasn't quite old enough to really be reading. Yeah, but it, you know, hit the same notes. So yeah, great. So great job by by Munch and and Mandrake. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about your show, real quick? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. So I'm on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. I co-host a show with Greg Arujo called Secret Wars and Beyond, where we cover every issue of every Marvel superhero Secret Wars miniseries. We cover the beautiful gem that is Volume 1, which everyone loves. We cover the poop-wearing lipstick that is Volume 2, which everybody justifiably hates, though our episodes are a lot of fun because of how bad the issues are. And we are gearing up to jump into Secret Wars Volume 3, which I think is the greatest crossover event ever. It's Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic. We're taking a little prep break in between because we're basically going to cover all of Hickman's Marvel output. So we're doing a, a miniseries event right now called Squadron Supreme Cast, where we cover Mark Grunewald's seminal Squadron Supreme miniseries from 1985. It's a lot of fun. We're doing something a little different. I actually have never read the miniseries. Greg loves it. It's his favorite thing ever. So I'm reading the book in real time with the listeners. So I'm reading the issues we cover right before the episode so that my responses are sort of new and, and, you know, kind of fresh to the material. So, yeah, anyway, you know, people like Marvel particularly come check us out. And, uh, yeah, that's it, man. Very cool. Very cool. So, okay, I guess we'll head out of here. Hopefully we can have you on again. Anytime. And I'm not, I'm, I literally... Anytime you have room for me to talk Batman with you, I'm in. Okay, sounds good. So, if you'd like to contact us at the Bat Pod, we're at pod underscore bat. Our email is batpodpodcast at gmail.com. So, we'll be back with our next episode in a few weeks. So, until next time, same bat time, same bat channel. We will see you later.